Welcome to Better Family Travel with Amy and Kathleen, the podcast where we'll help you plan fun, enriching, and affordable experiences for you and your family that meet your goals. We'll ask ourselves hard questions, reveal our mistakes, and share a new perspective on what better family travel can look like for you. Whether you're a seasoned traveler or your journeys are just starting, you're a better family traveler just by tuning in. Welcome to Better Family Travel. I'm Kathleen Monroe, and I'm here with Amy DeCesare, and we are celebrating episode 10, which is quite the accomplishment. Pretty exciting. We've gone through a lot of different topics over these 10 episodes. During our episodes, we've brought up ideas for future topics. We're getting some ideas from our friends and our listeners, among which we've talked about whether traveling to repeat locations or going to a new place every time is the way to go. We've talked about combating the cases of the grumpies with your kids. What are some of the things that you've enjoyed talking about, Amy? I really liked hearing people's memories of their own childhood trips and how their own backgrounds have influenced their travels with their families. And it's been really nice to hear everybody's different influences and how they've brought those themes forward in their lives. I've noticed that after we've interviewed each guest that I've taken something from their conversation into my day, usually the very next day or over the next week. Most recently, after talking to Charles last week, um, we started talking more about what money we're spending with our kids and being a little more forthcoming about the cost of the things that we do as a family. And it's created a lot of interesting opportunities for conversation with all three of them. And so I'm, I'm kind of grateful. I'm, I am grateful to him for bringing that mindset to our episode last week. It's it's really funny because there's so much we can learn from just talking with each other. And I think that's part of travel, right? Slowing down and just listening to each other. And in this busy world that we live in, we often go past each other. And there's just so much we can learn from our friends and neighbors. And I really have liked the conversations we've had. Tonight, part of the focus will be a quite relevant one since social media is exploding right now with a lot of talk, both supportive and somewhat controversial about the plight of teachers in our country during COVID and whether or not schools should be reopening and whether or not teachers should be getting vaccinated and whether schools should be closing after teachers are vaccinated so they can recover from whatever various side effects they may be having. There's so much conversation going on. Really think that the talk among my colleagues, you know, I haven't really talked a lot about it, but I have mentioned in the past that I am a public school based speech pathologist. And a lot of the talk among my colleagues at this time of year is what are we doing over summer vacation? (laughs) What are we doing for our break? And we're kind of looking forward because we've worked so hard tirelessly to plan lesson plans, to plan social emotional lessons that show our students that we care about them and that they are still a priority for us, even though they're hard to reach physically, we're trying to show them that we're reaching out, however, virtually, whatever method that we have for contacting them, that is what we're doing. But nonetheless, it's exhausting for us. And I know that we're all sort of looking forward to traveling and talking about our past travel experiences, which brought to mind my friend, Amy Lapsus, who I have taught with me tonight, to introduce to you, Amy DeCesare. I would like to introduce Amy, who is also a speech-language pathologist, somebody that I've known for a very long time. Amy, can you say hi? Hello. (laughs) I was doing the calculations earlier tonight. I think we've known each other for about 18 years. That would be about right. Yeah, we met before kids, early in our marriages, early in our careers. We kind of helped each other carve our way 
into our roles as career women. And then we had our babies together. As a matter of fact, Amy was the very first visitor when my oldest was born prematurely. She was the first one to walk through that door and say, are you okay? Huh? <laughs> <Not> okay. <laughs> so she has a very special place in my heart because we've, we've really grown a lot together. And although I, I very rarely see you anymore because our paths have diverged a little bit, I still think of you all the time. And I think that you have some really interesting stories to tell. So thanks Aww. for joining us. <laughs> <You're welcome>. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't realize I was your first visitor. Yeah. I guess I didn't remember. Yeah, I, I, remember. I remember walking through that hospital door. So that's so funny. That was yeah. so long ago now. Oh, our babies are not babies anymore. They will be 13. You My took baby. your baby to Australia. I did. Yes. So my babies were nine and 11 when we went to Australia. So I would like you to talk to us a little bit about that trip because it covers both the teacher story, but also the family travel story. Can you first tell us just a little bit about the makeup of your family and then how that trip was made possible for you guys? Sure. So my husband and I have been married, oh gosh, almost 20 years. And we have two kids. Kylie is 14 and Luke is 12. Chris is also a teacher. He is a preschool teacher. And we had, when I was working in East Hartford, they pushed a lot, this program called Fun for Teachers. And I kept hearing it. People were talking about going on vacation later to find out that it was more of a professional development that you develop on your own as an educator. I kept hearing bits and pieces here and there. And um, I went to an informational session run by women from Fund for Teachers, and I didn't turn back when she said, how big can you dream? I said, well, I can dream pretty big. <laughs> and then after that, I, Chris and I didn't turn back. We, we looked into how to write the grant and looked at the rubrics and saw how to do it. And we said, we can do this. And we did. So before I see Kathleen, you're about to say something, Amy, something you brought up before was very interesting because I grew up camping in Rhode Island. I'm from <laughs> Rhode Island. How you get that? That's the, the spark. I'm from Rhode Island. So that was our vacation. We would go one to two weeks in the summer camping, same campground every year. We had the same campsite that we went to. Chris's family traveled around New England, around Eastern, the U Eastern U.S following amusement parks and that was where they went so traveling outside of our little bubble was not really you know our long-term aspirations as a couple not that it wasn't an aspiration but it wasn't ever something that we're like we want to travel when we grow up <laughs> we have definitely gone outside of our bubble from what we grew up with. My parents had me in Europe. I was born in Germany. So when they got married, they traveled all over Europe. They sent a camper on a trailer on a barge and they flew to Europe and were total hippies and came back with a baby. <laughs> oh, that's so cool. I'm definitely following in my parents' footsteps pre-children, yep. <laughs> but not post-children. How so interesting. Yeah. So, so you did this grant a two, two, three years ago. Is that, am I doing the 2018? Right? Yep. So 2018. how long were you able to go away for? Almost a full month. It was three and a half weeks. Awesome. And 
so well, I, I mean, Kathleen would have the questions and I don't want to jump in, but I'm really curious, like, did you have to work while you were there or were you able to fully experience it? Like what, what was involved with that? So the grant we applied for, everyone that applies for a fund for teachers is, it is self-directed. So you apply for what you want to do. We researched outdoor education facilities. So mostly preschools that are taught outside, outside on the beach or in the bush or in a city park. So we traveled all over Australia looking at these different educational opportunities that kids were having, looking at how can we bring that outdoor learning to the U.S. Was that the intention of the programs to be outdoors or was that incidental? That was the intention. In Australia, you mean the programs that are there? Yeah. Yes, it, that they were developed to be taught outside. Because I know here in the States, there's like the Waldorf school is kind of an outdoor school. Is it that kind of philosophy that you were seeking? Yeah. In, in New England, it's a little bit harder to experience a full outdoor learning environment, but we were trying to see how could we bring aspects of that to the students here and to other educators, to other families, you know, not just our own students, but larger community even. So what are some of their theories on having class outside? What are the educational benefits of it? Personally, from a speech pathologist point, point of view, I saw language development that was unlike anything that I saw from three and four-year-olds in the U.S. Their vocabulary was larger. Their problem-solving skills was just at a higher level than our kids. They were more independent and self-starters. It was definitely a different learning environment that affected them in a very positive way. And from the research that we did, it does seem like entry into a typical program following these outdoor programs, kids were doing well. They were not behind. It's not like they weren't doing well on standardized tests or falling behind in certain areas. They were doing well. So it was a positive experience. So did you, wait, let me just back up because I'm really curious on how, how this worked. And then I'll, I'll explain to you what I'm thinking, but you applied for the grant and you got the grant. Like, did your children know that you guys were doing this? Like, how did that go when you're like, hey, we're going to Australia for a month? Like, what was, can you walk us through how that happened? Yeah, so I, they knew we were applying for the grant. It was a lot of work. It was not hard to fill out the paperwork. There, I mean, as an educator, you follow a rubric. <laughs> they, give you, they give you rules, you follow the rules, you get the grant. So it wasn't hard it was time consuming. So okay. figuring out where we wanted to go, what we wanted to do. And when the woman said to me, dream big, how big can you dream? It was, okay, where do we want to go first? And then what could we do once we get there? So we didn't really have the outdoor education as the goals to start. We had Australia as the goal. And I talked to Kathleen about this earlier. The goal for Australia or going to Australia was, was more because um, my son and I have food allergies. I needed somewhere that I could feel confident that I could communicate my allergies. Okay. So at first we had been looking at France and um, a little bit in Italy. 
I can't go to Italy. Like <laughs> how much dairy products are in, like, I can't go there. I would love to, but it's not realistic for me. It wouldn't be fun. I wouldn't enjoy myself. I needed somewhere that I could know that I could read a food label and confident that I could eat something. Um, so that's how we decided on where we were going. What we were doing came second. But applying for the grant, it took time. So the kids knew we were working, you know, on filling out this paperwork that we needed to do so that we could hopefully go somewhere. We found out, so there's a certain day that all of the fellows get awarded their grants. So Barbara Dalio, I don't know if you know her name. She is one of the richest women in the world and definitely in Connecticut. Right, Dalio's. Okay. Mm -hmm. So they fund all of the grants in Connecticut. Oh, wow. Okay. So she, as well as my superintendent and the head of Fund for Teachers, all came to my school and surprised me with a backpack and said, hey, guess what? <laughs> oh, that's so cool. So it was a very surreal, like, I mean, I knew that there was the possibility of that day you were finding out you were going, but having them show up at school while you're teaching, <laughs> you're going to Australia this summer because they you find out April that you're going that summer. Oh, wow. And does the grant cover your family too? Or no, so you're, it doesn't. Okay. Nope. So the grant is $5,000 per person max or 10,000 per team. So if there's more than two members of your team, 10,000 is the max. Um, so Chris and I both got the full 5,000 each. Obviously the kids can stay with us wherever we were staying mm -hmm. um, pay for their food, their flight, um, and any incidental things, but yeah, no, we paid for that, but most of the grant covered our trip. That's fantastic. So now I have a question about the short, short notice, more or less. I'm in the process of getting passports for my family because we're not planning to travel right away. And I know that it can take a long time to get it all in order and get what you need. And also I really like the idea of spending the money now ahead of time yeah. and then not having to factor that into my trip costs for whatever a big trip is going to be coming up in the future. We've gotten as far as pictures and I showed them to Amy a couple of episodes ago. They are hilarious. Middle kiddo decided to take that no smile thing very seriously. And he looks like he's glaring, like he could just tear a hole in whoever is coming anywhere near him. Like he is obviously going to be the one ahead of the family, we are going to be behind him. He's protecting the rest of us. We have not gotten any further in this process, but did you already have passports for your kids? Did you have to apply for them, hopefully, like optimistically while you were doing the grant? How did that all work out for you? I think we applied for them earlier. We had those passport cards, not the full passport books prior. What is that? It, it looks like a driver's license. But it's it, for like Canada and Mexico. Like Canada it's a, and Mexico. Can I get that? <laughs> I'm not going to it, but I think it's a little cheaper. It, I don't think it was a big difference. It's a lot for the five of us. It's a yeah. good chunk of change. I mean, like six or seven hundred dollars easily. Was yeah. it that much? Like, I don't yeah. Know. By the time you do per person, it, it's yeah, with the photo and all the paperwork and. 
Yeah. And that was not something that was covered with the grant. You couldn't use it towards your passport. So that was something that we did feel like we did it ahead of time, assuming that we would get it. Do you have any tips about the passport process for me just before I go get the, get the easy one? <laughs> I don't think so. Actually, I, I wouldn't waste your time. I wouldn't. Yeah, get so I, I, would, I would get the full passport. I think they expire in less time too. I think just go for it. All right. See, that's good advice. That's what I'm looking for. It's like an RC <laughs> Cola instead of a Coke. Just get the Coke. <laughs> just go for the Coke. <laughs> Can we talk about food more since we're talking about go for the Coke? <laughs> When you talk about food allergies, so what did you eat in Australia? Were you able to eat a lot of what was available? Did you have to modify what you ate when you were there? What was that like for you guys? Food is tough for me because I love to eat, but it makes me nervous when I'm traveling. So I don't enjoy it as much as I would like to. We have a timeshare in Florida partially so that we can transfer it to wherever we want to go so that I can always have a kitchen whenever we're traveling. I like to go out to eat, but it's not usually fun. So I try my best to at least have two meals that I know I cooked or at least somehow prepared and we can enjoy one meal out. Partially that also saves money. So going to Disney, we, you know, we pack our breakfast or lunch or snacks and maybe get one meal. So you bring it with you. Yeah. Yeah. So a lot of snacks, a lot of to-go granola bars and stuff like that in the backpack, nuts and drinks. You know, we all have our own specific water bottle when we travel that has, you know, one of those sprayers that if it's really hot, you know, (laughs) we have a very uh, specific travel food routine. (laughs) So we did a lot of shopping in supermarkets and because we, we were in four different areas of Australia, basically four corners. So almost a week in each area, we would shop as soon as we got there for the week, plan our meals, usually when we were traveling. So in the air, Chris and I would be writing out our supermarket list for when we landed and then we'd shop on the way to whatever Airbnb or timeshare we were at. Were the grocery stores very similar? Not at all. So what did the kids think of that? It was very interesting for all of us. I mean, our supermarkets are so full and aisles and aisles and so many choices. There was one ice cream. There was one yogurt. There was one orange juice, one milk, you know, five boxes of cereal to pick from. It was much different than our aisle of cereal. (laughs) So I had the opportunity twice in my life to do short stints of study abroad. Um, When I was in college, I did four weeks in Cuernavaca, Mexico um, on a language immersion program. And then I also was lucky enough to do another three weeks um, in King's College in London. Um, And then we went uh, to Paris for a weekend. And what I found was what is you know, normally when you travel, you don't do the things in the area that a, a local would do as much. You do the touristy stuff. You don't go to the grocery store. And when you get that opportunity to go for a little extended time and like have a glimpse of living a daily life there, it's, it is a different experience in travel. You know, Kathleen and I had talked to one of our first episodes, you know, what's the difference between travel and vacation, you know, because there is a difference and they can blend and meet. But I think one of the things about travel is getting to kind of look at the world through a different viewpoint. 
And when you go to Australia, like that's the thing, you know, you I don't know that you would go on a destination and say like, I really need to hit the grocery store because it's a must-see grocery store, you know, as opposed to somebody would. Actually, you know what? My they're, my husband would because he likes that kind of stuff. But most people would yeah. not do that. He totally would. But it, it is cool to see like, that's something that your kids are going to remember forever, right? How different. And yeah, I'm guessing definitely. that conversation has come up a little bit about it's different here because, you know. Right, right, definitely. A lot was different, like, you know, we take for granted all of the natural food aisles and the dairy-free options that are available in the supermarkets. We had plenty of options, but it was definitely a different feeling and the kids appreciated that for sure. And you know what? Traveling and, and going on vacation are very different. Being in school, because we went to a lot of different schools while we were there, you know, you get a different viewpoint of what actually living in Australia is like, as opposed to, okay, snorkeling with in the Great Barrier Reef is much different than going to school on the beach of Northern Australia. Mm-hmm. I remember when I went to Cuernavaca and, you know, we would eat, we rented rooms of the house, you know, from, she called us herself, you know, her, our Mexican mother. And she, you know, it was, it was, and we rented a room from her and part of it was, it was room and board and we would eat in her kitchen and we, you know, just eating in the kitchen and the cooking and the, it was such a different experience to just live the daily life and, you know, the family conversation. And it, it, it was not a view that you would get in, um, you know, it, it doesn't make the, the travel logs, but to, to just see the daily rhythm of life from another culture or, you know, even a part of parts of the U S it's, it's a great opportunity. And so to be able to do that for yourself and your family, um, that's pretty awesome. Yeah. One of the reasons that we also were going to Australia at the time period that we were going was because our daughter was on her way to Germany three weeks after we returned home from <laughs> from Australia. So we were in Australia three and a half weeks. She was home for three weeks and then left for three weeks to go to Germany with nine other students and two teachers. Oh, wow. So she lived with another family in Germany for three weeks. So part of us going to Australia also calmed us as parents saying, okay, our daughter's ready to do this. As a not yet 12-year-old, she turned 12 on the flight to Germany. <laughs> so we felt like this was our our prep, prep period, basically. Like, so was that a school program that your daughter went on? Yes. Yep. And had that been in the works before you did your grant for Australia? Yes. That's very so, brave of you. <laughs> <laughs> how how much of the Australian grant was a distraction about sending your daughter away to Germany? <laughs> a lot. A lot. <laughs> For sure. A lot. That's how did it help her measure. prepare? What I, one of the best days in Australia was in Sydney. She and I spent the day doing whatever she wanted to do. I said, you plan the day, figure it out. I'll follow you. I'll be with you the whole time. But if you can't out how to get from where we're staying to where, where you want to go and eat and get home, then we, we can't do this. So she got 
bus lines all lined up, how to get tickets. She got us tickets to the Sydney Opera House for the day, reservations for dinner. It was her day, but it was just as much for me. Like, okay, she can do this. If she gets lost in Germany, she can figure it out. <laughs> and she did get lost in Germany and she did figure it out. So there's a I language got... there too, though, the language barrier. You know, did she speak any German at all or did she study any no. of it? No German. I, they take a quarter of a semester in in German before they go, but most Germans speak English as well. The family she was staying with, the mom was an English teacher. Made it a lot more comfortable. Yeah, for sure. I mean, especially that age that yeah. you want to take that pressure away for sure. Yeah. Yep. Did she approach you about that program in Germany saying like, I want to do this or she did? Yeah, she did. She's wow. our little world traveler. <laughs> That's pretty good going back to school and saying, oh, you know, I was in Australia for part of the summer and Germany for part of the summer and, you know, makes yep. the, the country fair look a whole lot. <laughs> going to the showcase at Epcot was a little bit different. Oh, yeah. Huh? When you've actually been there. When you've actually been there. Yep. And I'm just trying to think of, of how to phrase this, but you know, what, what are your takeaways on, you know, that, that you're traveling when you're traveling as part of work and you also have your kids there, are there, you know, what did your kids do? Did they sit through the, the, you know, your lessons or, or in your conversations, how did you balance, how did you find work-life balance in another country? So part of that was a lot of preparation for the kids. You know, we, do a lot of that in our individual sessions with kids. First, we'll do this, then we'll do this. <laughs> so a lot was, first, we're going to this school for three hours this morning, and then we'll do whatever we had planned for the day. I am not the vacation planner, travel planner in our household. My husband absolutely is. So I'm often along for the ride. I would love to travel much differently than him though. I would like to go to the beach and just lay, just sit. He is go, go, go the entire time. So we need to often find a balance towards the end of the trip, maybe two weeks in where we're all hitting our limits and we're like, yeah, maybe we need to cancel that next school. We've hit our limit on how many schools we can actually see. And it was getting redundant that we had already seen a school similar. We had already seen a program or that age group or so we, you know, finding that balance was harder in the beginning. Towards the end, we were like, okay, we need to, we need to do both. Enjoy this time and really take it all in and learn from it. Cause it was an amazing educational opportunity professionally for us. So it was challenging. I'm glad that you mentioned Chris's intensity because as I was thinking about talk, <laughs> That's so sweet to like say that like that. Intensity. Well, I thought about this when I was thinking about talking to you tonight. He is my go-to researcher. If I needed to know what baby monitor to get, I called you guys. If I wanted to know what 
next school agency, whatever. Like I call you guys because I know he's going to research the heck out of whatever my question is. And so one thing I wanted to ask you about was where you stayed and how you made those decisions. What was the process of choosing where to stay? Was it painstaking? Was it easy to find a place to stay? What was that like? Because you were there for a long time. We started with what schools would allow us to come. So what schools were interested in having those crazy Americans come watch them? The first school we went to, a lot of the outdoor education is very free. So kids are up in the trees, like literally climbing trees. So my son climbed the tree and fell out of it. Oh no! Six hours of traveling and every school we went to was like, Oh, you're the, your son is the one that fell out of the tree. <laughs> travel stacked all four corners of Australia. <laughs> Absolutely. Like they had heard about the American that fell out of the tree. So our, all of our trips were somewhat connected. Like once we got our first place that we were going to, they said, well, why don't you contact this person? And it kind of traveled for us too down the road of, okay, I can hook you up with this person in Western Australia. I can hook you up with this person in Northern Australia. So finding where we were staying was based on where, what schools were around. Northern Australia was the one place that was more of a vacation than an educational opportunity. We, I think we only went to one school. So it was more sightseeing, checking out where the rainforest meets the beach and, you know, snorkeling, that kind of stuff. So is that because that's what that location has to offer? Or was that just that point in your trip when you were ready for that type of no, that's the location more than anything? Mm-hmm. We did not prepare for weather. Australia during our summer was 50s, 60s. So you're leaving Connecticut in the beginning of July and you're hot thinking, how cold can it be? 50s or 60s is not short weather. You're the second person to say that uh, about Australia, actually. You said to me, ask Kylie what was something that was difficult for her, what what she would have changed. She said she would have packed differently, (laughs) that she was cold the whole time. That's what she remembered, that she was cold. Well, it's not like you were way off the beaten path. You could have bought an extra sweatshirt or sweatpants or something, but you know. But when you bring one or, you know, one pair of jeans and one pair of leggings and you really need them every day for three and a half weeks, it was interesting. Did you have one really bad day? I don't think so. Oh, good. Yeah. What was your favorite part of the trip? What would you do again? Two things. Can I say two? Yeah. Snorkeling with the sea turtles. Oh my God, that was amazing. Wow. And I'm so glad I did it because I get seasick. I didn't want to go out to where you needed to go to be able to snorkel. It was out beach where Merwin, that's where he died. Oh, geez. (laughs) Right? So they're like, over here is the the shed that we took him to. I'm like, how great. Um, But... I got to swim with sea turtles and sharks. And I mean, it was something that I would never do again, maybe. The other thing was sandboarding. It was like snowboarding, but on sand dunes on the Indian Ocean. Like you 
the ocean, but it's sand dunes. They drive you out in these vehicles and they said people go out there and almost on a daily basis, they're calling in helicopters to pull out vehicles that are, because the sand dunes change so much based on the winds that people think, oh, I was here yesterday. I know the path that I can go on. And I mean, it, it was just, the dunes are not like our dunes in Rhode Island. They're, I mean, hundreds and hundreds of feet tall and you're on snowboards, but sand. That's it, so cool. I didn't even know that was a thing. It was amazing, but you got sand in places that you really shouldn't get. <laughs> was that something that was like uh, researched before you left the States? Was that a spontaneous, like, hey, look at this pamphlet? Or someone yes. said you should go try this. Do you remember the conversation we just had about my husband being? <laughs> okay, I'm just no asking. I have no idea. <laughs> you just were like, today we're doing this? Great. Great. This is what we're doing? Okay, I got so, it. Were you nervous before doing some of these newer things? I mean, like you said, you get seasick and you maybe were hesitant about traveling to where you needed to go. I mean. Anxiety meds do a lot of wonderful things. Yeah. I, I, you know, I, I had prepared by going to the doctor, I had gotten scopolamine patches so that if I really need, knew that I was going to be needing medication, not just like some over-the-counter Dramamine, which I did run out of. And in Australia, all of their Dramamine has lactose as an ingredient. So make sure you travel with whatever medication you will need for the entire trip. Better family tip. travel tip number one for episode 10, bring extra Dramamine to Australia. For sure. <laughs> yeah. So I'm, I mean, I brought all my essential oils and my wristbands and anything I could possibly do to feel a little more empowered that I could control my environment. We've talked about anxiety a bit in the past about kids' anxiety and transitions and kids who are kind of sensory sensitive and how to travel with kids who are nervous. And we've used the examples of YouTube, you know, having kids really understand what they're up against and prepare and be part of the planning process and all of that kind of stuff. Um, yeah. But, you know, adults too, that's the kind of the thing is like, it's not just, it's not just the kids we are taking our families into unknown places and that's a real unknown territory for a lot of us. I have done a ton of traveling myself, but I've been hesitant to do so with my whole family. I've done a little bit more and I branch out a little more and a little more every year, but in the back of my mind, I still have that, well, when I feel more comfortable, I will <laughs> go farther, you know? And you know, your kids are influenced by your, what you're giving off. So you get into a busy airport and I'm like, uh, why is everyone not doing what I think they should be doing right now? Why are they not reading me? And they start reading you and then it snowballs. So my anxiety had to stay in check in order for them to stay calm. And I think it also for stuff like that too, because I, you know, I, I have some anxiety myself, um, you know, and Kathleen, I, I deal with it by over planning. Like I just, I plan every eventuality and then I'm good. Like, you know, Chris could have a tea party and just plan the heck out of our next couple of vacations. Amy, how about we head out? We'll leave the two of them. <laughs> we can plan oh, for, all of them. for the ride. <laughs> I'll bring my dream of me. 
but it's the figure. It, it, I say this as someone who does over plan. I find some of the best lessons for my kids, the ones that stick with them are the things we've had to figure out along the way. And, you know, the airport thing made me think of that because one of our trips, I, I took them, I had a business, I'm lucky enough to be able to travel or I used to travel um, on business on occasion. I'd go to some pretty cool places. And once in a while, we turn them into like a family um, part vacation, part work trip for me. And so one of the last ones was in the fall of 2019. We went to Lake Tahoe. Yeah, fall of 2019, we went to Lake Tahoe and flew in and out of Reno, which is a pretty small airport. Reno is not super big. And so... You know, the connecting flight back home to Connecticut from Reno is Reno to um, LA, LAX, and then back to Hartford, Connecticut. And so I've flown through LAX and I loathe LAX. And I will tell anybody, I will, I will, I will sit down, I will buy your dick and tell you how much I hate LAX. Um, but at so least <laughs> I hate LAX. But so anyway, but that was the thing. So long story short the the plane you know you can see the the plane is delayed getting me in and i'm i'm sitting here doing the math in my head i'm like this is not a good sign for our connecting flight you know and so finally i got and we're at the airport early for our flight home because we've got the three kids and we've got to you know check the we had three car seats checking all of that stuff getting everything and so we are there way earlier than we need to be and now i'm like oh geez so we go up, you know, I go up to the counter and I'm in line when they say like, hey, everybody who's flying to Hartford, you should come up to the counter. I'm like, well, that's not a good sign. They're not going to be like, we've got free drink vouchers for you. So I was already in line, thankfully. And, you know, they're tapping away and they're like, yeah, we're not going to make you, you, you know, we know you're not going to get your connecting flight in LAX. And so they're like, we can get you out tomorrow morning. And I've already returned the rental car and we've got three kids in the airport and I am not sleeping in the airport with three kids. And so I said to her, well, the the plane from, you know, is still getting in and going to get to L.A. tonight, right? And she's like, yeah. I'm like, well, if I still get on the L.A. plane, where can you get me to from there? Like, I get you can't get me, but where can I go? Like, what are my options, you know? And so, you know, she taps away. She's like, well, I can get you to Charlotte. And, I, and I'm like, well, from Charlotte, can you get me to Hartford? And she's like, yeah. I can get you to Hartford tomorrow morning at 11.15, which is better than me leaving reno about that time i'm like yeah let's do that but she couldn't get me on a signed seat so we've got three little kids which that's a whole other story but but we get to la and they watched as we figured out each step along the way like okay we didn't have any answers like okay here's the problem you know we're not gonna get lost in the airport forever and like how do you solve it and when we got to lax and we, you know, we got on the terminal, like the bus that drives you around the planes. And just the other day, the kids were talking about it again. Like, wow, do you remember how big those planes were? But that was part of that whole unplanned figuring it out. That's their take. Like, you can't sign up for those kind of things on your trips, right? Like, you can't be like, I I'd like the bus to go around the jumbo jets at LAX when after we miss our connecting flight. Like, you can't sign up for that. But that's their takeaway. So I don't even, I don't even know what the lesson is. And I think I'm going to have to ask a lot of other people, but... It's the unplanned stuff. And I swear it's the stuff that went wrong that they're like, you know what I remember? And, yeah. You know, that definitely that happened in Australia. We, there were, I think there was three different terminals for one of the places we were flying out of. I think it was out of Sydney and we had gone to the wrong one. It was like terminal B versus terminal C. And it was a whole like 20 minutes away. You don't plan for that, but you figure it out. Like, they they're along for the ride and they've got to figure it out with you. Yep. 
seeing us like not have all the answers is probably not the worst thing for them to say. Right. As long as there's a positive outcome at the end. Well, you didn't get stuck in Australia, although who knows, maybe that would. (laughs) Right. Yeah. But the travel part, everyone's like, oh, that must have been a horrible flight. How many movies can you watch in a 14 hour flight? It wasn't that bad. We all binge Netflix at some point or Hulu or whatever your, you know, streaming medium choice is. We can do it for a couple hours at a time. Just add a couple more. You're going to Australia. We stayed home for eight weeks last year and didn't do anything. So like I can sit. I've mastered sitting and doing nothing. So. Yep. Were they good travelers, your kids? Did they travel well? Yeah. Yeah, they do. They, they always have traveled well. Um, they get excited for the, the trip and they, they're good at it. Where do they want to go next? Hawaii. Oh, yes. So, so what can you, what, can, what grant can you write for Hawaii? What grant can you write for Hawaii? Where did you get the idea for the outdoor school? See, that's also a planning of Chris. I don't know. Yeah. I'm just curious. I mean, he's yeah. getting a certificate right now in outdoor education. Cool. So I'm sure that it's something that he was interested in prior to. What have you guys brought back with you? Do you apply anything in your teaching? And I know it's difficult. You don't have trees to climb in your classroom, but, you know, or beaches (laughs) or sea turtles to snorkel with, you know. That is true. Um, But COVID has presented a lot of opportunity to be outside that we never really thought we would have or knew we would have. So Chris does Wilderness Wednesdays with his preschoolers every Wednesday. They are outside at least the first half of the day. And I don't think there's been a day that they haven't done Wilderness Wednesday all year. In New England is quite a feat. Any pushback from parents on that out of curiosity? Not that I'm aware of. I, you know. Yeah. Maybe there's grumblings that he doesn't hear, but Mm -hmm. the positive he's gotten from parents is pretty, um, is pretty overwhelming. And I saw the language development from kids in Australia. He's seeing it here now. So some of those kids that come in in September and are not really verbal communicators yet are now using so much language. And he's parents are seeing that and kids are seeing that. So why do you think that is? What is it about the space or the experience that stimulates language? I think that it gives them that opportunity to be spontaneous, that they're not in a contrived adult environment, that we gave them the toys that they were supposed to play with, that we gave them the center that they were supposed to be in, or the arts and crafts materials that they were supposed to do. They're, they found a tunnel. I don't even know what that's called, a culvert or, you know, like the tunnel that goes underneath the ground to divert water and they were using it like you know that you would use a telephone like where you connect the cans you know you wouldn't do that in a classroom being able to echo back and forth and learning the word echo and you know all of that stuff like they're they bring tools out with them they count how many tools they have so that they can count how many tools they need to bring back they how many kids do they need to 
pull the wagon with all the materials they're bringing for the day. It's just a different problem-solving environment that they wouldn't get in a classroom. So this reminds me... good, but it is different. What did you say? Sorry. A classroom, I'm not saying classroom's bad, but it's just a different environment that allows for more spontaneous, child-centered learning. I think you're talking about executive function too. And, and, you know, neurological development. I always think about how I explain to parents that the problem with too much screen time and kids with executive dysfunction is that they really are looking for something else to be their brain. So video games are the brain for them. When you fall off a cliff and your character dies, that's immediate feedback that you did something wrong and you have to start back at the beginning and then it rewards you when you're when you do it correctly, it is rewarding you. You don't have any internal reward for having done something correct or having problem solved something. You get it all externally, um, right. you know, and that constant cause and effect that you get from from um, battery operated and other kinds of technology that is used as time spending type of activities does all the thinking for you. Even read aloud books are great, but it does some of the thinking for you. You're not spending that time decoding and saying to yourself, wow, that word sounds a lot like a word that I've said before. You know, you're missing a lot of those opportunities when your brain is doing all the work, so much more growth happens. And so when you're outside and you are trying to find your own toys, you're doing all the work and your brain is really doing all that growing. I can see how absolutely that would create the growth and the language development that we all want for our kids. Do they just have to go outside? <laughs> just go outside. <laughs> just go outside. <laughs> you know, some, some people I know are doing the thousand hours of outside time. And I'm, I will admit, like I'm rolling my eyes a little bit because it reminds me of like, reading logs. You know, so my kids are avid, avid readers. You both know that. My kids have been like, they just, I'm so lucky and grateful. And I realize how wonderful it is that they are just such good and avid readers, but we get reading logs and I just go, Oh, I don't know how to log all the time that you spend reading. I want to feel that way for everybody, all my students about their outside time. I want to be like, I can't log how much time you were outside. That's hard to do. It should be hard to do. Mm -hmm. Right. And I've, I have brought it into speech too. So I go on scavenger hunts with kids outside now. I'm, you know, what, Where's your speech sound? Where can we find it? Um, You know, we're doing more motor stuff. Like, okay, if we're working on ING, how many many different movements can you do outside? Um, That being outside gives you that opportunity to move, you know, get outside. So it is definitely exciting for me to be outside too. it's challenging me in different ways to teach differently. I'm so glad you guys had that opportunity. That's such a gift. So if other teachers want to have this opportunity, can we just Google other teachers? Um, so if, if I want to apply for a grant, <laughs> should I be Googling funds for teachers? Is that like fund a quick way? That's it. Yeah. Funds fund. for teachers. Fund, F-U-N-D, fund, fund for, for teachers. teachers teachers yes okay if you go to funds for teacher it's going to say would you like to buy this domain name (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> and they'll be like, those podcasters lied. I would. So if you're in Connecticut, definitely apply because more, I think, than almost any other state in the U.S., more Connecticut applicants get awarded than any other. Yeah. So go for it. Where do you want to go? Yeah. <laughs> I'd mentioned Guatemala to Brett and he's like, you're not taking the kids to Guatemala. I was like, yeah. <laughs> you watch, I'm going to learn Kiche and you're all going to learn Kiche. <laughs> we were just talking about that earlier, weren't we? Yeah. Uh, Amy, thank you so, so, so much for sharing yeah. all of the details of your trip and how to get there and what you brought back. Like this has just been amazing. It was thank you for having me. Thanks for coming. It was wonderful talking with you. Yeah, I you want to hear about your Hawaii trip, okay? <laughs> <laughs> Two more years, I think. Fingers crossed. Fingers crossed. Thanks, guys. Thank you, Amy. Thank you. Kathleen, she was fantastic. I knew you would like her. <laughs> oh, my God. I really enjoyed that conversation. I, it, it is always great to talk, you know, truly when it's travel and you're learning the way she was and how I really, the takeaway, the one of it, and there were so many, but the day that she took her child, um, her daughter out and said, you need to figure out the day, you know, um, I'm here next to you. I'm going alongside of you, but, but you have to do this. And it matters because you're, you're going to go on a trip on your own and I'm not going to be there. And so that you have the confidence that you can go. And I have the confidence to let you go. We're going to do this together and we're going to, you know, you're going to figure it out. And you know, I don't even know that you have to go to Australia for something like that. You know, for, for us here in Connecticut, you know, go to Boston, go to New York, go to Hartford, let them figure something out. Amy, go to the grocery store. I think if you put some responsibility into the hands of your kids, you're helping with their social emotional growth and they're finding their place in the world and they're, you know, what they're capable of. They're doers. They can be doers. And if we show them that we trust that they can do things, you know, you don't have to have them getting ready to go for a trip to Germany, they might go someday. So why not start practicing planning now, whether yeah. you're going to Boston or whether you're going, you know, to get the things that you need for, you know, a birthday party or whatever at the store. It's so funny. We need a new washer and dryer. Like some <laughs> people can picture this, this washer and dryer came with our house and it's scary and old, but I'm cheap and I don't want to spend money on a new one, but to the point, and you've used it. So you know what I'm talking about. Um, the dryer, the person we bought the house from thankfully was here the day we did the walkthrough and showed us how the dryer works and there she left behind a laundry basket a wicker laundry basket which i thought was very nice but it turns out the purpose of the wicker laundry basket is to prop up the board that you need to put against the dryer to keep the dryer closed so that the heat cycle works i remember then, watching you teach me how to do that and i was like this this is what we're doing Cool. And in two and a half years, it still works. So I haven't done it, but now it needs more pressure. So now we have to lean a chair onto the board that puts it up against the dryer to make it go. And it's like a mouse and that, like, you know, like, yeah, that many steps. However, what will get me to like spend money on a new washer dryer is I want the kids, especially the older two to learn how to do their laundry because I didn't do my own laundry until I was in my twenties. Like my grandmother lived with us. She did all their laundry. And I'm like, I don't know how to do laundry. And it's not hard. It's not, but just the confidence of, yeah, you can go up to college. You know how to do laundry. And hi, we're both two working parents. We could use some help to be honest with you. Yes. And um, you, you want them to be able to do so without having to prop a board, a wicker basket, a chair, and like their younger brother. 
Okay. We have to prop the younger brother while yeah, probably buy it. First of all, just two things. Let's not exaggerate how bad it is. It's only a little bit bad. Just stand there until you hear the buzz. We'll be right back. <laughs> <laughs> Where's your brother? He's doing the laundry. <laughs> I know. My kids walk away with the idea of doing the laundry, standing there, putting pressure on the board. They're like, that's how we did it in our house. <laughs> Oh my goodness. Oh, but we should talk about the challenges because one of the things that I've seen for my kids with the pandemic is the not having the useful output. And I felt that like, I felt that so much in the spring and the summer, the, the lack of purpose of like trying to find my place and you know, with not traveling, not going places. And that's what I, you know, you know, that's what I did. I love to plan to go. And so struggling and read like, what was my purpose role, whatever. And how do I do it? But especially, especially with William, like he, with all of his history studying, having something to do that meaning that purpose for, and something useful to do with what you've learned is such an important part. You know, it's not just, it's not just sightseeing. Life is not just sightseeing, whether it's on travel or else. It's not about what you see, but it's about what you do and what you learn. And it's, it's something to keep in mind with our kids because I feel like, at least for us, like we want to give them everything, but it's not the giving them it's 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 kind of some of it's just stepping back and letting them do it themselves the allowing it's not giving it's allowing it's allowing i think amy and her family did a really nice job i mean they had certainly had the benefit of having the structure of an educational fund you know a grant to go with that mindset mm-hmm. but you can take that mindset on your own vacations there really isn't anything that's preventing you from popping into a local grocery store or just being brave and doing something a little spontaneous, asking, you know, if you can go to the local library and just see what that is like, or, you know, follow Maddie's example and go to the playground and talk to some of the local parents and the kids, you know, little things like that. I mean, maybe even go look at what the schools look like. I mean, you probably can't go into them necessarily, but it depends. It depends on how brave you are, how outgoing you are. But I think taking those risks to look a little bit beyond the vacation plan can add so much with just a little tweak. Yeah. It's kind of, you you, you said in the beginning, what are some of the themes that I I really think about? And I I think I'll end it with this is, you know, we talked about how we often fail to take advantage of the, the touristy or the, the attractions that are kind of in our own backyard because we take them for granted. But when we travel, when we go do those things, we also miss some of the more mundane daily tasks that also can provide a richness. So I think there's a balance in both. Bring some of your, you know, touristy bent home with you and bring some of your everyday life when you travel and maybe you'll find that balance. I don't know. Mm-hmm. And, you know, something that we talked a lot about tonight was being outdoors, which I'm excited is going to be focus of our next episode. Yes. Where we're going to be talking quite a bit about forest bathing and being outdoors and the health benefits and mental health benefits um, leads so nicely hand in hand with the conversation we had today. So certainly be sure to look out for that upcoming episode. 
Yes. And before you take us out, I just want to remind people, if you're enjoying listening to us, if you can like us on whatever platform, iTunes, Google Play, whatever, if you can like us and leave us a review, it really does help us in the algorithms so other people can find our podcast. So um, if you can help us out and do that, we would really appreciate it. Thank you. We want to thank CMG Podcast Network for making better family travel possible. Check out our fellow podcasters and their fascinating topics at clovercrestmedia.com. Join our community on Facebook and submit your questions for future episodes at askbft at betterfamilytravel.com. We're looking forward to chatting travel with you again next week.